Jesus has been traveling around announcing the good news of the kingdom of God. Can, can you even begin to imagine that? Does it, does it even begin to make sense that the Son of God somehow came to this planet, lived here for a little more than 30 years, spent some really important time with 12 individuals. But when his ministry was launched, when God said it was time, he began to be an itinerant preacher, literally going all over the countryside talking to people and encouraging people about what the kingdom of God was all about. But Jesus saw the crowds. They were wandering like sheep without a shepherd. Christ's heart was broken. He was compassionate, but he was also sad, just sad. Christ looked around and saw this tired and weary and discouraged group. It wasn't supposed to be like this. Israel was looking for the wrong king, a political, economical, and powerful king, and Jesus was not that king. He wasn't the king that they were looking for. He is a king, but he was a king that will restore and mend your broken hearts and your broken bodies. He's a king who will bring order to the chaos of your life and will bring you rest. He's a king that will give us significance and direction and a reason to live. He's a king who will give us both abundant and eternal life. Christ's generation was confused. It was helpless. It was aimless. It was harried. And more than anything, it was shepherdless. Shepherdless. To most of us, that doesn't make a whole lot of difference. Okay, sheep, shepherd, get it, you know. But, but Jesus knew what sheep look like without a shepherd. Wandering aimlessly not protected, eating wrong things, not knowing what to drink, where to drink, not experience sheep life. How about that? Wow. You know what? If we're honest, if Jesus were walking around Fox Lake today, <laughs> that'd be cool. But if he were, would he see the same thing? Would he see the same thing today as he saw when he was here? Wow. Then Jesus goes on in our uh, beginning text, in our context here. 
He says the harvest is ready. The need is for harvesters. Pray for laborers. Pray for those who are going to be willing to go out and to be able to share good news with hurting, harried people. He's saying people are so ready for the good news of the kingdom. They're so ready for a relationship with me. Just go tell them about it. They're tired. They're discouraged. Then, just a little bit later, and we're kind of going through Matthew 9, 10, and 11, Jesus gives some last-minute instructions to his disciples and sends them out. Jesus told his disciples to literally go back in your neighborhoods and share God's presence and power and wisdom and love with your family, your friends, and your neighbors. After the disciples are sent out. It's very interesting and, and, and unique, but maybe after all this turmoil or maybe all this stress or all this opportunity, if you were the leader, maybe you sit back. Maybe you go take a couple days of R&R. But the scriptures say that Jesus immediately went out to preach. It's in Matthew 11, verse 1. So if you would start looking there, opening your Bibles to Matthew 11, or your flat screens, and be able to follow along with me from here on in. Just as Jesus went out to begin to preach, and this is so interesting, John the baptizer, you most of you remember him, he's in prison. He is in prison because basically he was standing up for truth. The Bible tells us that John the baptizer was an amazing, he was a hero of the kingdom. He was a guy that if Jesus says there was a rock star in the kingdom, that's John. He dressed a little different, he looked a little different, his message was a little different, but he says that's the guy. He is amazing. Well, now he's in jail. He knew what Jesus thought about him. But John, this unbelievably kingdom person, started questioning. Maybe even like Brendan. God, what's your plan here? I mean, I am a preacher. I'm in jail. Wait a minute. (laughs) There's a thought. Just a, a quick thought. Are you really the Messiah? Like, wait a minute. If you were the Messiah, would I, would I be in prison right now? Would I end up there? God, is, is Jesus the Messiah? We go back and we look from this end going, what are you, crazy, John? But we all have those doubts, don't we? We walk with God. We listen to God. But there's circumstances in our life that all of a sudden blow our minds. We go, why? What are you thinking? And you know what? He sends his disciples, his followers. He goes, go find Jesus. Just, just ask him again, would you? Ask him again. Please help, 
Are you the Messiah? And you know, Jesus, if you look in, in Matthew 11, he doesn't say, hey, knucklehead, of course I'm the Messiah. That's why I wasn't there. But you know what he says? He goes, hey, go tell John. I understand he's a little confused right now. But what I want you to do, go tell him what's happening. Go tell him the good news is happening. Go tell him people are being healed. Go tell him that God's kingdom is moving ahead forcibly. (laughs) Then Jesus, he goes to the villages, he says, and he talks about the lack of response and judgment. We read this part in the Gospels, and we almost think, Jesus, you seem so harsh. I I thought you you came. But part of Jesus' message is, he said, you're going down the wrong path. Would you listen to me? Because if you don't, it's not going to be good. And then he prays, and, and the prayer is recorded for us right there. And he thanks his father for revealing himself to all those who are childlike, all those that have faith. He said, Jesus, or Jesus said, I am so grateful, God, for the people you've surrounded me with, that folks who have great faith, faith just like a child. Then, and here's the crux. He turns to the crowds. And he says this. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are are you burnt out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I will show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. And I love this next line. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you will learn to live freely and lightly. Now again, doesn't that sound good? Doesn't it? We're all looking for rest. I see that our community is tired and scurrying around for a quick fix. Entertainment and vacations or breaks from the norm doesn't restore our soul as we had hoped. But Jesus has an answer. It's not just a quick fix. Let's hear what he has to say. We're going to hone in on Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30. And let me read it again. Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I and I and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. He basically is looking around again. He's saying, hey, I see you're weary and carrying heavy loads. Literally, the word weary is beat up. 
It's effort almost like a soldier, but maybe even more like a wrestler. And again, I don't know how many of you have wrestled or how many of you watched a wrestling meet, but there's this, this, well, two forces going at each other. And when they're done, they're slimy and sweaty and exhausted. And they crawl out of the ring. And even if it's a loved one, you kind of wonder if you ever want to hug them because they're gross. But that's what Jesus said. I see that you are like you've been in the ring. You're exhausted. You're tired. And, And he says you're burdened. The same word of a gigantic freighter just piled and piled and piled on with cargo. They were tired. Life was hard and exhausting. We are tired. Life is hard and exhausting. And then he says to this, and by the way, again, if you mark your Bibles, this is not a suggestion. Oh, because you're a little bit tired, well, let's go out for some coffee. He is literally saying with great force, come to me. It's an imperative. It's a command. And if you come to me, you will keep getting refreshed. Come to me for soul rest, for refreshment, for restoration. You are tired realistically because you are doing life by yourself. Then he says, take or lift up from the ground my yoke, and put it on. All right. Now, you may not get the whole idea of what a yoke is, and and I get that, and we're going to try to explain that, but all I'm saying is you're tired, you're weary, you're beat up. So what I want you to do, Jesus says, is... This is all going to fall apart, but that's all right. It looks really... Okay, thank you. Take the yoke, pick it up, put the yoke on. Now, again, we're we're looking at this saying, hey, wait a minute, I thought you were uh, talking to tired people. Yoke means kind of like work. Like, what are you saying? Why would I pick up the yoke? Now, the truth is we all need a little bit greater understanding of the yoke. Many of you know I had an opportunity for some of the summers up at Silver Birch to be a head wrangler. And I am a whole lot more familiar with horses than I am with oxen, just so you know. But although horses are amazing animals, teams are really amazing. They are more valuable than single horses. They have more power, more stamina. It literally takes a whole lot longer to develop a good team. And let me tell you why. One leads. And one follows. Horses are like people. Do you know that? They both like leading. They don't like to submit to one another. But a good lead horse is a horse that knows the pace and is able to encourage 
the other one to move forward. There's nothing like a team of horses that is a team of, well, a well, a really good, obedient team of horses. Now, Christ's audience probably understood This is going disastrous. Perfect. It's exactly how I was thinking. All right? But Christ's audience probably understand his words in light of oxen. That's a little bit more what they were used to. But Jesus is literally, again, just trying to use a very familiar metaphor and saying, hey, you are doing life by yourself. Life is hard, but better together with Jesus. Now let me say this, and this is, this is worthy to just ponder for a while. A yoke to us seems restrictive, but it's not. A yoke is empowering. It's empowering. Jesus said, let me teach you, for I'm a humble and a gentle teacher. Saying that because the Pharisees just weren't, those religious. Jesus was uh, comparing his yoke with the yoke of the Pharisees. He said, then, if you put my yoke on, you will keep finding rest. You will be experiencing a restored life. And then at the very end, if you mark your Bibles, again, might need to write something in there because it's a little bit hard in the English, but it says, my yoke is easy. And maybe you could just fill it out. My yoke is easy to put on. I'm making it easy to put on. Anybody who comes to faith can put it on. Anyone that recognizes that I died for them and put their faith and trust in Jesus, you can put this yoke on. And my burden is light. And again, maybe fill that out when we walk together. Literally. A yoke is excellent, useful, good, and helpful. But we don't like them. We do not like to submit to anyone. We do not want to be obedient to anyone. We love living our lives apart. To be in charge. To do what we want to do. But we forget the creator of all. is saying, let's get yoked up. This is good news. It was good news 2,000 years ago, and it's good news now. I want to do life with you. I know the best path. I know the best pace. We are going to have an amazing life together. Yoke up. But I also realized as we looked at this, we probably need a new definition of rest, okay? Because if I were to poll every one of you at this moment, I'd say, what does rest look like for you? What does rest 
look like? Well, let me tell you, first of all, what it's not. Rest is not sleep, okay? Just so you know, this definition of rest. Because we find out early in Genesis, and we find out all the way through the Bible, that God rested. And we know that God never slumbers or never sleeps. So his rest and our rest must be a little different. Secondly, we know that rest is not recreation or pleasure. All right? We find that the prophet Isaiah writes in Isaiah 57, starting in verse 20 and 21, that the wicked don't experience rest now or later. And the wicked is anyone just not connected with God. All right? And so I know a whole lot of people that aren't connected with God that really, they, they live life like crazy. They enjoy everything that there is out there. And yet they're scurrying around. And they're hoping for peace. You see, rest is peace with God. Rest is walking with God. Rest is intimacy with God. Now again, so many of you are familiar with the scriptures, but let me remind you that God promised rest to a nation of slaves about 4,000 years ago. We find this in Numbers 13 and 14. It's way back in the beginning of your Bible, but it's a, it's a story. It's actually one of the saddest stories in the Bible. You see... The Egyptians had, well, held captive the Israelites for a long time. And all they knew was slavery 24-7. And God said, I'm going to send Moses. He's going to be the emancipator. He's going to lead my people away from this slavery. And he's going to bring them into a land filled with milk and honey. He's going to bring you into a land of great rest. Oh, that would have... They would have drooled when they heard that. And you know the story in Numbers 13 and 14. Approximately 2 million Jews are all ready to go across the River Jordan. And there's some spies sent out. And the spies literally come back and say, you cannot believe the size of these grapes. You know? It's almost like, and bear with me, walking into Woodman's. Oh, my word. I have never, ever, ever, ever seen anything like this. (laughs) I just forget Woodman's. Just call it the promised land. It, you know, it, it's like, I, I didn't even know where to go. I didn't know what to do. I'm just like, I walk out there with some grapes and some cherry juice. I, I didn't even know what to do. I, honestly, you know, like, really, Rick? That's what you go to Woodman's for. They were big grapes. You know, I, I just walked out. I said, honey, I have no clue. I have no clue where anything is. Forget this. I, I'm done. Yeah, I mean, I need a seeing eye dog for in there, yeah, you know, or something. But what was so cool is that was their promised land. 
And so they gave back, and they said, I can't describe this. It's so cool. But, 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 but the cities are walled, and they're giants. We can never do it. And a couple of the guys, Joshua and Caleb, said, no, 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 let's go. God's with us. Boom. Let's, this is amazing. Let's go enjoy it. And you come back. Said, no, no, we can't. We can't. So you know what happened because of their lack of faith, because they didn't trust God, they didn't get to cross the Jordan. They didn't understand even how powerful God was, even though they had just walked through the Red Sea. Now, the promise of rest for God's people is not new. Please turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3. And we're going to be spending some time in Hebrews 3 and Hebrews 4. All right, it's way near the end of the Bible there. But in Hebrews 3, starting in verse 7 through 19, we find out that God promised the children of Israel this unbelievable land and that Canaan's rest was available. All they had to do was listen let me remind you, Canaan's rest was not easy straight. It was adventurous living with God. And this is what's cool. So many times say, hey, you just follow Jesus. Hey, just have an intimate relationship with Jesus. Hey, just hang out with Jesus. And those are all really good things, which we're going to keep talking about. But we don't realize that there are walled cities and giants in the land. God says, I'm going to walk with you. God says, I'm going to give you rest. But the truth is, is that life is going to be filled with walled cities and giants. God's promised rest was his presence in the midst of walled cities and giants. But Israel missed out. At least that generation. They chose disobedience which meant a desert. Look at Hebrews chapter 3, verse 19. So we will see that because of their unbelief, they, the children of Israel, were not able to enter his rest. Oh. But then the author of Hebrews uses this whole experience so that we might be able to understand what God's offering us right now. So in Hebrews chapter 4, look at verses 1 and 2. God's promise of entering his rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. For this good news that God has prepared this rest has been announced to us, not just to them, but it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. The the promise of rest or life and peace with God still stands. But we can miss it just like the Israelites missed it. It's interesting that the author writes, so we ought to tremble with fear so that some of you might fail to experience it. These, These are not light words. So literally shake. Be concerned. Because 
you might choose the desert. You may not choose to trust God. You may not choose to walk with God. So you're going to be by yourself, and the best you can expect is God taking care of you in the desert. I don't think any of us would choose a desert over woodmans. Hey, look at verse 6 of chapter 4. So God's rest is there for people to enter. But those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. God's rest is available. And God's rest is available to each one of us who want to obey, who want to put the yoke on. And then verse 11, chapter 4. So, again, I, I circle souls, circle bots. These are critical as you just kind of read through the scripture. So, let us do our best to enter that rest. Let us work hard at entering that rest. But if we disobey as the people of Israel did, we will fall. Let us be diligent. Work at experiencing God's best. That means staying connected with our God. Working hard is making sure you don't harden your heart. You can read through this chapter. Making sure that you listen and obey. You know, we need restoration and rest. We need to be able to spend time with and live life with the king. If you were to continue to read in Matthew you would find out that Jesus follows up this invitation, this great invitation, this amazing invitation, the invitation of come to me and I will give you rest with a lesson on the Sabbath. How important it is to rest and to enjoy God. My question to you is, and I have a few of them now, Will you respond to Christ's invitation today? Or will you literally, ah, nice, nice text. Ah, what time do the bears play? Ah, I need to get home. Wow. Will you respond today to Christ's invitation? It is available come to Jesus, live life with the King. Jesus invites you into a relationship, and the gospel is such good news. You don't have to live life alone, and the one who wants to yoke up with you is wise and wonderful and gracious. Oh, amazing. Then he invites you to be yoked so not only does he want a relationship with each one of you, which always starts by our faith in Christ, but he wants each one of you to do life together. 
That blows my mind. I just have to be honest. Even in my very, very, very best day. Why? Why would Jesus want to be yoked with me? I, I, I've, I'm dense. I'm selfish. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to want to turn right when he wants to go left. I'm going to want to kind of hold back when he's saying, giddy up. Why? Why is it so hard? Yoked up is an abundant life of obedience. Last week, if you're with us, we're talking about the three greats. The great commandment, which is love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your muchness. If you know what that is, you're going to have to get the podcast. And then he says, and also I want you to love others like you love yourself. Oh. You see... Loving God and loving others starts with obedience too. Jesus is saying it just a different way. Listen to me. Submit to me. Get yoked up with me. Well, how do you live life with the king? And I just want to say this. You develop it just like any other relationship. You can't have a close relationship with God by coming out once a week and having a pep talk. It's almost like being married. And in your marriage counseling, the pastor or the counselor would say to you, hey, look, I want you to have a great marriage. You need to be able to communicate. You need to be able to spend time with each other. And, and the guy goes, oh, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, wait. Excuse me. I want to get married. That, that's a good thing. But I only want to see her once a week for about an hour and a half. It would just crimp my style. I'm just letting you know. I have a lot of, and the, and the list goes on. And the counselor would go, oh, oh, oh boy, you're in trouble. I'm just letting you know, it's not going to go very well. Oh, no, 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 I know her. It'll be just fine. Eh, wrong answer. God, so much more important than a spouse. And I'm not saying neglect your spouse. Please hear me, okay? What I'm saying, though, is God says, I want this relationship. I want you to spend time with me. I want you to hear. I want to share with you how to live abundantly. I think one of the things that I do is that I need to nurture that relationship, which means I need to put it in my calendar, and I need to get help when I can. Honestly, there are some things I don't get about God. And you get to talk with others. And again, it's kind of like marriage. It, it just is. You know, you put your dates in. You make sure that you do have time for the most important person on, on this planet. And everything else revolves around that. But you also need help sometimes. There have been times in my life where <laughs> going to counseling. Oh, yeah, you didn't know that when you hired me, did you? Yeah, well, that's okay. Now I'm here. <laughs> but the truth is, I need some help sometimes. And we have some wonderful people here, but there, there are some times when, when you just need to nurture that 
relationship better. There's some blind spots. That's why I love small groups. That's why I love our men's and our women's groups. That's why I love our, our triads. Because there you can speak truth to one another. You can remind people of how wonderful God is, how important it is to stay connected. Because if you don't, you're going to for- forget. You're going to just forget. Wow. It all begins with coming to Jesus again and again and again. Every day, twice a day, five times a day, ten times a day, twenty times a day. You're just connecting with God. It's being on mission together with Him and with others. Many of us know what living life apart from God brings. Just be honest. Imagine living life with God more and more each day. So you will be yoked up or you will experience the desert. The choice is yours. The choice is yours. So, as I wrap up, You are going to plow. Jesus says that's what life is. You're going to plow. I want you to plow with me. Jesus says you're going to pull a wagon. You are. You can pull it yourself. Or you can pull it with me. You're going to travel down a road. Because that's what horses do. Why don't you let me lead you? Why don't you let me set the pace? Really, come and do life with me, Jesus said. It's abundant, it's fulfilling, and it's wise. Let's pray. Father, you came to shed your blood so that we could have a relationship with you. By faith, we start this amazing journey. And yet during the journey, sometimes we we forget. And we have this idea that we can do life without you. And so we choose a desert. And we wonder why life is so hard. And we wonder why we're not experiencing abundance. Oh, Jesus, you loved us. You showed that. And you talked to a group of people who are really tired tired of the screen and tired of all the things that we try to accomplish and you just said come to me I'm going to keep pumping your tires put on my yoke I want to teach you how to do life I want to warn you about the pace I want you to know we're so much stronger together. 
and we can do the mission together. I pray even today, God, that we don't leave the same people. That we hear your invitation. That we respond to your invitation. And that we, God, would move forward at your pace with renewed strength. Lord, even today, if someone's confused, if the rat race has been so, well, filled with rats, I pray that you give them courage to respond even today. That by faith they might become a child of God and they might, well, begin a journey with you. For those, Lord, who have been part of your family for a long time and just been pulling the wagon all by themselves. God, would we repent? Would we be more involved with you? Would we put and take your yoke? And would we begin to do life with you? We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.